good morning. Welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you as we continue going. We're looking verse by verse. We're, we're going all the way through the book of Joshua. Uh, this is a, an exciting book. Uh, we've seen sort of what, what God has done in taking these Israelites who were in slavery in Egypt. God has rescued them out of Egypt. Unfortunately, they disobeyed. They wandered the wilderness for 40 years. And now it's time God is looking to bring them into the promised land. God has made promises. He is now looking to fulfill them. And then through some mighty ways, God had brought them through the Jordan River, helped them to conquer this walled city of Jericho. And little by little, we see the amazing things that God is doing in and through the lives of the Israelites. However, have you noticed that it hasn't necessarily been easy? It hasn't been a piece of cake. You've got these individuals wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, God has taken care of them with food and with water and you know, manna from heaven. God blew in some birds, some quail, and they had meat. God brought water out of a rock. All of these items as God has blessed and prepared, and yet it's still challenge after challenge. Hardship after hardship, difficulty after difficulty. After 40 years in the wilderness, you think God says, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. It's just going to be smooth sailing, right? And they come up against the Jordan River. And then they come up against the city of Jericho. And, and time after time, as we work our way through this book, we see difficulty after hardship after challenge. Can anybody relate to difficulty after hardship after challenge? That's probably the case. If you can't raise your hand, if you can't nod your head and say yes, uh, you probably could have a little while ago, or you might be able to do so in a little while, right? Because you and I, we face difficulties and hardships and challenge. So how do we do that? How do we face life's battles? How do we face the difficulties, hardships, and challenges of life, particularly when they seem to go back to back to back to back? Sometimes, doesn't it feel as if it's just wave after wave after wave? You, you experience kind of this, this rushing wave of whatever the difficulty is, and you feel like you're just about stable. You've got your feet sort of underneath you, and then here comes another wave and, and about takes your feet out from underneath you. We've probably faced something like that. So as we take a look, we're going to invite you to Joshua chapter 10. We gave you, again, more homework last week to read this opening portion of Joshua chapter 10 and to kind of look through and be prepared and, and read because last time together we had seen that the Gibeonites pulled one over on Joshua and the Israelites. Remember, they deceived. They were tricky and deceptive and they came up acting like they were from really, 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 really far away. They came and put on tattered clothes tattered and worn out shoes, and, and they brought old, moldy, crusty bread. They made it seem like they were from so far away, their travel was so far, look at all our stuff. And what we saw was Joshua and the Israelites, they, they looked at their stuff, but they didn't look to God. So what they ended up doing, the Gibeonites asked that they would make a peace treaty with them. A peace treaty doesn't just mean that 
you don't attack them, it means that you've got their back if anything happens to them. And so they made this peace treaty with the Gibeonites because they thought, you're from really, really far away. Then we kind of hinted at it as we were looking through and finishing up chapter 9. What we're about to see is that the Gibeonites would be under attack. And right away, this this land, this area, the Gibeonites, that Israelites thought were way far away, were very close. And not only are they, are they very close, but they're under attack, and they would have to make good on their promise. So that's where we get to in Joshua chapter 10. Verse 1, it says, Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city. Like one of the royal cities, it was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. Let's stop right there. Did you catch what we just read about Gibeon? Gibeon was an important city. It was like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai. Ai was the the town or city, if you would, that defeated the Israelites just a few chapters earlier, and it was because of the sin that took place at Jericho. So Gibeon's larger than Ai, and that last phrase is interesting, all its men were good fighters. It sounds like Gibeon and the Gibeonites had a whole lot going for them, right? But yet they were the ones who sought out the Israelites to make peace. They had heard about God. They had heard what God was doing. And even though it sounds like they've got it all together, they didn't want to be under attack. So they were preemptively deceptive. That's what we looked at last week. Verse 3. So, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Working out pretty well so far for the Gibeonites, right? Preemptively, they're deceptive. They get Joshua and Israel to agree to peace. Joshua and Israel discovers they're not quite so far away, but they realize they must obey and defend their agreement. And shortly after, Gibeon is attacked by these five kings from these. This is not necessarily nations. These are not necessarily countries. Uh, Some scholars, commentators might refer to these as city-states. 
So kind of larger than a city, smaller than this, this country, but city, states, regions, areas. You've got five kings from this area or region attacking Gibeon, who is fairly close by now to the Israelites. Not quite as far away as they were making themselves out to be. So chalk this up, right? Add this up as another difficulty, as another stress, as another challenge, as another hardship. They're, they're trying to come into this land that God has given to them. They messed up and, and made this agreement of peace, and now the Gibeonites are attacked, and they've got to make good on their promise. So one of the first things I think that we've got to do is this. We've got to focus on the present. Focus on the present. See, here's the challenge for us, I think. The challenge for us is we can be very tempted to go back and dwell on and live in the past. The challenge is also to fast forward to, to jump to, and daydream about the future. You ever caught yourself doing one of those two things? In the midst of trouble, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a battle, you, you kind of jump back in time, and you think, boy, if I would have said this, if I would have done that, or the opposite, if I wouldn't have said this, if I wouldn't have done that, all the woulda, coulda, shoulda, and we start thinking about the past rather than dealing with and focusing on the present and what we are currently facing. The other challenge is to kind of avoid the present, right? Let's just overlook what we're being faced with and let's jump to the future. Let's envision what things could be like if we weren't dealing with our difficulty, if we weren't dealing with the hardship and trouble and this, this battle. It's kind of like it's that, that classic movie from the 80s and it, it's been replayed on channel after channel, cable channel after channel, back to the future. None of us have a time machine. We don't have a DeLorean like Marty McFly and, and the Doc that you can just jump in, type in some numbers, and go back in time to go fix some problem that's causing trouble for you in the present. If you've got one, I haven't heard about it. We also, we don't have that time machine to be able to jump forward into the future and kind of look around and see what things are like then to help us out in the present. But yet, that's where we end up spending a lot of time. We dwell on the past. We start living in the past or we start planning and daydreaming and thinking about the future. All the while, we're facing with troubles and difficulties and battles and hardships in the present, and they're not getting any better. And what we see about Joshua and the Israelites is that they truly were focusing on the present. It would have been very easy in the midst of this challenge to start pointing fingers and going back to the past, reliving this agreement, reliving this peace treaty. Joshua could have pointed fingers at the Israelites. Israelites could have pointed fingers at Joshua. I mean, you were the one who looked at their clothing. You said it was legitimate. You were the one that looked at their dry, crusty, moldy bread. You said it had to have been from a long, long trip. They could have jumped at one another and dwelt in the past, looking at that agreement of peace that they gave to Gibeon, and now 
They've got to honor it. We don't see that. The Gibeonites come up and they say, help us, protect us, save us. We're being attacked. And what we're about to see in this conclusion in these next number of verses is that they will do just that. They don't jump to the past to say, boy, if we, if we would never have gotten into an agreement with you, we sure wouldn't be in a pickle with you today. They didn't jump to the future to daydream about, well, I just hope these five kings will leave you alone. They didn't do either of those two extremes. They were focusing on the present. I want to challenge us. As we're faced with difficulties and hardships and some of the battles of life, focus on the present. With God's help, take a look at the task at hand. Understand this. God's grace is incredible. He is more gracious than our past mistakes. They entered into this agreement, shouldn't have. It was not something God desired of them. They didn't inquire of God. They didn't ask him. They didn't seek him. They messed up. But God is gracious. God will give help. God will give strength. But let us focus on the present. Let's focus on what is in front of us right here, right now, and deal with it. Not jump back to the past to wonder, what if, if I woulda, coulda, shoulda, Let's not jump to the future and just daydream and say, boy, I hope it turns out. With God's help, focus on the present. But beyond that, what do they do? And we're going we're gonna to bounce around a little bit in this section as we work our way through the first 15 verses of chapter 10. One of the next things that we see taking place as they jump into battle, they, they in fact do focus on the present, but I want to bumpy down a few verses to verse 12 and see what Joshua did. A, a second principle of dealing with these difficulties of life, the battles of life. I want to challenge us to pray bold prayers. Let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed big, bold prayer to the Lord? See, here's the situation. We'll get back to some of the details of how we got here. The Gibeonites, they say, were under attack. Five kingdoms, five kings, they jump in and, and help them and assist them, focusing on the present. And as they're in battle, Joshua and his Israelite army against these other kings, fighting to save the Gibeonites, time is running out. Daylight is running out. The sun is setting on their opportunity of victory here. No doubt Joshua and the Israelites might be worried that if the sun sets and uh, you know, the day gets dark, that maybe these kings and their armies will kind of sneak away, slither away, and they would not be able to defeat them. So Joshua prays a rather bold, a rather outrageous prayer with an incredibly bold and outrageous request. One prayer request that had probably never been asked before and maybe has never been asked since. I'm not on God's database, so I'm not sure if someone's prayed for that since or not. But when you see what he prayed, you might think it's a one of a kind. Chapter 10, verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Stop there. Spoiler alert! God helps them win. Okay? On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord, in the presence 
of Israel. So Joshua is speaking. He's praying to the Lord. This is a public prayer. This isn't Joshua kind of going off by himself and kind of mumbling to God, hoping nobody hears him. He's praying very publicly in front of the Israelites. Verse 12, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Aijalon. How's that for a bold prayer? How's that for an outrageous prayer? God, I'm praying that the sun and the moon would stand still. Give us more daylight. Give us more opportunity to complete this mission, to conquer these armies, to help the Gibeonites as we follow up on our treaty of peace. Sun and moon stand still. You and I have heard people say, you know, when they, they ask for a lot, you know, what's the phrase? Man, it's like they're asking for the moon or something. Joshua asked for the moon and the sun. God, would you help that to stand still? That boggles our mind. How in the world could that even be possible? And yet Joshua prayed it. Verse 13, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the day and delayed going down about a full day. This wasn't like one of those miracles where you can kind of argue, well, yeah, we got an extra half hour of daylight. We got an extra hour. And all of the people say, well, that's just daylight savings time. This wasn't squeezing out an extra hour of daylight. This is about an extra full day. Are you ready to pray some bold prayers? Are you ready to pray some God-sized prayers? Are we ready to pray prayers worthy of the God we're praying to? Is our God mighty? Is our God powerful? Is our God loving? Is our God able to meet needs? Yes, yes, and yes. So we can come before him boldly. Hebrews says, boldly before the throne of grace. Jeremiah 32, 27 says this. The Lord speaks. He says, I am the Lord God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? In the New Testament, in Luke's gospel, as the angel comes to Mary, the angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. Jeremiah, the Lord says, is anything too hard for me? And in Luke, nothing is too hard. Anything or nothing, say him, shout it. God is saying he can do it. Joshua had the boldness. He had the audacity to ask God for something that was probably unprecedented. So let me ask again, maybe a little different way. Have we ever prayed for or asked God for the impossible? Or do we typically pray and ask and believe for the believable? The challenge is, the tendency is, many times we can kind of take our eyes off of the bold prayers and we can kind of lower it to some safe prayers. God, give me a great day today. Nothing wrong with that prayer. Pretty good likelihood, no matter what happens, we're going to walk away saying, yep, it's a pretty good day. Joshua didn't just say, 
God, would you, would you help us today? Help. Kind of vague, kind of large, not sure exactly. Joshua said, God, would you stop the sun and would you stop the moon? Pretty bold, pretty specific, pretty audacious. The New Testament is the study that we're looking at uh, on Wednesday nights, walking on water, and Jesus does so. Peter and the other disciples, they see that it looks like a ghost. Peter doesn't say, Jesus, if it's you, give me a thumbs up. He doesn't say, Jesus, if it's you, shout out my middle name that nobody else knows. Jesus, if it's you, uh, let me see, yell out my social security number. Oh, wait, don't do that. Someone might copy it. Um, he doesn't say something simple like, hey, you know, let me know it's you. He says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come, invite me, ask me to come and walk on water to you. That's kind of bold. Jesus says, come. Peter does so. He walks on water. That's a pretty bold request of the Lord. In fact, a little bit later then, Acts chapter 3 after Jesus has died and been resurrected, now Peter and John, Acts chapter 3, going to the temple, they see a man crippled from birth. You might remember Peter's response. He says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Whoa. I want to talk about boldness. He basically said, uh, yeah. I got nothing but Jesus. Walk. How bold would it be to speak to a man crippled and just simply say, get up and go walk out of here? Peter had a bold declaration to the Lord. James 5.17, James writes about Elijah from the Old Testament. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain. Uh, how many of you have done that? You pray that it's not going to rain because we're going to a theme park. We're going to the fair. I got to mow the grass. I'm going to wash the car. So God, help it not to rain today. Be honest. How many of you prayed? Don't rain. And while some of you are raising your hands, there's others who are farmers who are saying, God, help it rain. Hasn't rained in a week. God, we need some rain. So we got some of you praying for no rain. We got some praying for rain. And you feel pretty good if, if you pray about no rain and it doesn't rain that day that you go to the theme park or go to the fair or wash your car. Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. That's some bold, audacious prayer. Verse 18 goes farther. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Wow, we're talking some earth-shattering, bold prayers. He prayed to God, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prays, and everything just comes back in, and in an abundance, the earth produces its crops. So right now, some, you're, getting, you're getting pumped up. You're getting charged up. You're saying, yes, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray bold prayers. I'm, I'm going to pray audacious prayers, and we're ready to go. Uh, let me caution or temper it that enthusiasm just a little bit. With this, we pray boldly, but it must be in accordance with God's will, right? Because how many of you are ready? You have, you have bold prayers. You think, okay, I'm, I'm going to go home. God, I'm going to pray for a mansion filled with Mercedes, 
stacked with money, right? It's not just about making the big, bold request simply because we can. It is bold requests in accordance with God's will. Joshua made the request. Why? They were waging this war to defend the Gibeonites. It was also a part of conquering this land, which God had spoken to and God had promised them ahead of time. God had declared this is what they were to do. He'd already revealed that as his will, and they were needing some extra time to do so. He prayed a bold prayer. It was in accordance with God's will, and God, in a, in a mighty and a miraculous way, came through. What does Jesus himself say in the Lord's Prayer as he teaches the disciples to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whose will? My will be done. What I want, God. Bold, audacious me time. No, thy kingdom come. It's all about your kingdom, God. It's all about your will. When we pray boldly in accordance with God's will, God does some incredible and some powerful things. Notice when Joshua prayed, it wasn't for the mansions filled with Mercedes, filled with money. He simply prayed for the sun and moon to stop, to give more sunlight. Why? So they could complete the task, complete the will that God had called them to do. It wasn't, it wasn't for protection, though that would have been a great prayer. It wasn't for the way out. God, help us to escape. It's one army against five. Help us sneak out of here. It was for the defeat of the enemy according to the will and plan of God. Pray bold prayers, but do so in accordance with the will of God. So let's focus on the present, focus on the task at hand, pray bold prayers. Thirdly, and this goes hand in hand with praying bold prayers, we must do our part. See, God will oftentimes do miracles without us. Sometimes it's just simply on our behalf, God blesses and bestows his blessings upon us. Many times, though, God seeks and desires you and I to obey him. You and I to do our part to follow and honor and obey him. In other words, do the natural, trust God for the supernatural. So now we're going to get caught back up on some of these verses we've overlooked Verse 7, it says, Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. After an all-night march from Gilgal, verse 9, Joshua took them by surprise. Then the middle and end of verse 10, Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. Joshua and the Israelites did their part. They were working hard to see that God's work was done. Verse 7 says they marched up from Gilgal. Verse 9 says it was an all-night march. So we, we see that, we read that, we hear that, and it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us because you and I, we hop into a car, we hop into a truck, and we drive wherever we want pretty quickly. So this overnight march from Gilgal to Gibeon, under the cover of darkness now, 
was a distance of about 24 miles. So not quite from here to Finley, but almost. From this church to Finley, not quite. But almost that entire distance. On foot, at night, with an entire army that you're trying to keep together. So that particular distance probably would have been a good two to three days travel normally. Because if you remember, when it came time and they found out, they heard that the Gibeonites were really not that far away, it says they traveled three days and came to the Gibeonites and says, they said, basically, what's up with that? You're not that far. You're just three days away. So this would have been about a two to three day trip. They did it overnight in the dark. There was work involved. So they marched up, verse 7, all night march, verse 9, took them by surprise in verse 9. And then in verse 10 it says, they pursued them and cut them down. So catch this. They did a two to three day trip in one night in the cover of darkness. They take them by surprise. Joshua and the one army of Israelites taking on the five armies of these other kings. They take them by surprise, attack them, hunt them, chase them. They battle them all day, right? Then time's running out. Sunlight is slipping away, and Joshua prays for the supernatural, and God comes through, causes the sun and moon basically to stay where they are or or cause the, the earth not to be revolving around that, giving them more time, more daylight. How much more? About a whole nother day. Can you imagine how tired they must have been? This sounds like a good old-fashioned four-letter word called work. Two to three-day trip that they did overnight. Then they fought the entire day until it was about to turn dark. And then God grants them about a whole nother day of sunlight. So that's an overnight plus an all-day plus an all-day battle. That was some work. Do we see Joshua and the Israelites kicking back in their lazy boy chair saying, well, we made the agreement of peace, but God's our leader, so God, you take care of it. We're going to pray bold prayers. God, you do it. We sit here. Is that what we see? No. They were praying bold prayers, but they were also doing their part. Praying hard does not excuse us from working hard. Knowing God and being in a relationship with Him doesn't mean we sit back and wait and expect God to do everything. Let's not sit on the sidelines, waiting and watching, hoping for something to happen. Joshua knew God had given them a promise. As we read this text, it's a great illustration of the balance between Trusting in God and working. It's not either or, it's both and. It's not just simply saying, God, I'm praying a bold prayer, so okay, I prayed, and I hope that you do something because I'm going home. It's not all prayer and no work. It's also not all work, as in, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen, but I've never sought God about it. It's not either or. It's not all work, and it's not all prayer. This passage is showing it's the balance. We're praying bold prayers, believing God to do the supernatural. At the same time, 
We're focusing on the task in front of us, focusing on the present and saying, God, what can we do? What is our part and what you've called us to do? They were working hard. We've got to work on our obedience to the Lord and his instructions. Because many times as we read or as we hear, as we listen to God's word, we, we hear God speaking to us, but we don't put it into obedience. We just say, that's great, God. Now, about that thing I was praying about. Maybe a little little, little snappier, God. We've got to live out in obedience what God's called us to. How in the world are we going to expect victory over our battles, victory over our challenges, victory over our difficulties and hardships when we don't obey what God's already called us to do? So it's the balance. It's praying bold prayers and doing our part. Yes, God works on behalf of his people. Many times he works hand in hand with his people. There are many things we can do. What's what's before us? What's in front of us? What what has God called us to do? Let's do the best that we can. And then we trust and we pray and we seek God for only what he can do. Do our part. Finally, we see we've got to focus on the present. I look to the the past or the future, pray the bold prayers, do our part. These final verses encourage us to count on God. Rely upon God to work. Verse 8, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. How about that for an encouraging word? I've given them into your hand. Not even one will be able to stand against you. That would be extremely encouraging for Joshua to have received. Beginning of verse 10, it says, the Lord threw them, this would be the enemy, into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. So God gives the promise, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to help you, don't be afraid. God throws them into confusion. Verse 11, as they fled before Israel on the road, from Beth Horon to Ezekiah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Do you see how both are at work there? The Israelites did their part. God said, hey, don't be afraid. Do your part. The Israelites did their part. They were defeating them with God's help. And then God says, okay, let me give you a little extra bonus. Here come some hailstones out of the sky. More died from the hailstones. God's a sharpshooter, right? These aren't just hitting the ground. More died from the hailstones than died from the Israelites' swords. Then verses 12 and 13, that's when Joshua is praying his bold prayer. I mean, they're being victorious, and God's striking them down with hailstones, but it's getting dark. We need some more time. God, we've got to accomplish what you've called us to, and And God does just that, the supernatural. A lot of commentators will say different things. You know, you you try to look into explaining, what does that mean that you stop the sun and and the moon in the sky? Doesn't God know that it's kind of there and and the earth revolves around the sun? All these individuals saying, well, what does this mean and what does that mean? Here's what I know it means. God did a miracle. Whether he stopped the sun, stopped the moon, whether he stopped the earth from spinning and rotating, 
We don't have the scientific textbook in here to say exactly how it did it. What we know is God did it. We can count on God to do the mighty and the miraculous. So God grants them this prayer. They've worked all night to get there, battled all day. He gives them a whole extra day of sunlight. And then in closing, verse 14 and 15, it says, There's never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. God was listening. God was working on their behalf. We serve a God that will literally stop heaven and earth to grant victory to his people. If you read this story and you don't get a little pumped up and energized at the might and the power of God, then check that pulse. God's doing something, right? Is Joshua more special than anybody else in this room? God loves Joshua. God loves the Israelites. God loves you and I. God did mighty miracles on their behalf. God can do mighty miracles on our behalf. Nothing is beyond his power. Nothing is too hard or too large or too big or too difficult for the God that we serve, the God that we worship and pray to. The promises he made to them, not any more important than the promises he's given and made to us in his word. He makes promises. We can count on him to keep them. We can count on his promises. We can trust in his will. Joshua knew what God had promised. Joshua knew what God was desiring to do. He said, don't be afraid. I've given them to you. Not one will be able to withstand you. He was able to trust in that. He was able to count on God. When God said not one's going to stand against you, he literally meant not one. He was following through. Joshua clung to God, prayed the bold prayers, trusted in God, but Joshua also did his part. He led the army overnight, that two- to three-day trip overnight, guided and strategized, took these armies by surprise, battled all day, battled a whole nother day. It was a combination of God at work, Joshua and the army at work. See, faith and trust in God comes as we hear God. We sang that song about open my ears, help me to hear. Well, to know God more, we've got to hear God more. I came across this quote in, in the study, and it did not have a, an individual as to who came up with it. it. wasn't me, but it's really good. It says, God listens to the voice of a man who listens to the voice of God. Let me say that one more time. God listens to the voice of a man or a woman or a young person, or child who listens to the voice of God. God has an incredible uh, amount of things in, in store for you and I. As we pray those bold prayers, let's also be sure that we are listening to him, listening to his voice, counting on God. Know him, listen to him, count on him. Mm -hmm. 